story is that the Wildcat mascot nickname, not the mascot, but the nickname comes from this guy named Commandant Carbusier. So he was. <laughs> Wait, go back. Go back. <laughs> I'm Commandant Carbusier. It's spelled C A R B U S I E R. So you tell me. Have you tried these 13 herbs and spices? I'm Commandant Carbusier. This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Justin. I'm Nathan. And I'm Yara. And today we are here to bring you our preview episode for the Dogs' upcoming matchup against the University of Kentucky Wildcats between the hedges this weekend. We're going to be bringing you this in the normal way, which is to go at it from both a qualitative and quantitative standpoint. In our qualitative preview, we'll be going through talking about the storylines of the day, playing a couple of fun games, diving into a brief history of Kentucky football, and then getting all of our feelings out about the day that is to come. In our quantitative preview, we'll be breaking down who Kentucky is on the football field, players to watch, stats to look for, and the personality of the team that we're going to be facing. We'll also be doing a little bit of what we would like to see, I guess we would say manifesting, and then score predictions. If you would like to get more involved with this podcast or contribute to it in some way, Yara, how could people do that? So for as little as $1 a month, you can join a burgeoning community of patrons at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. For $1 a month gets you access to an awesome community of like-minded, diehard, crazy-ass college football fans where you can talk about anything under the sun. Um, $3 a month gets you access to our unedited show feed, which is pretty crazy and five dollars a month gets you our show notes which are arguably even crazier so come check it out there are lots of different tiers that you can choose from just do whatever you want do whatever feels good patreon.com forward slash chapel bulker let's get qualitative absolutely agreed let's get qualitative so we'll start out with a couple of brief news updates so there's been quite a bit of gnashing of teeth on the UGA internet post Auburn game. And a lot of it is worrying about our place generally in the national rankings. And while I don't put a lot of stock in polls, I do think it's worth coming up and keeping track of where the metrics put us at this point. Right now, CBTR to Sam has us 13th. FPI, which is ESPN's model, has us 7th. And SP Plus has us 4th, which is Stephen Godfrey's model. Ross, who is the proprietor of CBCR2 SAM, has some concerns. Uh, our system, SAM, is based at its core on a SRS or simple rating system. And it doesn't like us because basically we don't score enough points relative to our opportunities. We also settle <laughs> for field goals Oops. and we're not making them. So that's how you lose games. And that's what the model is seeing. I think that other metrics probably don't push SRS quite as much as we do. Currently, the CBCR2 model is at, I believe, 45% preseason, 55% in-season. We might also have been a little touch more aggressive with in-season than some other models, which is why we're catching UGA as lower. So any response to that? Does that seem right to you guys? What Which one of these seems the most right to you? Um, it feels a lot better than the, I think I saw while Ross was messing with it over the weekend, we were like 33rd at one point when you combine both offense, defense. And I was like, that that feels bad. But he also did some really good uh, lists of comparing uh, the last like seven national champions and where they were at this point in the season ranked. Um, Georgia is nowhere near any of those, uh, unfortunately. But when after what you just said about this 13th, that feels like that might be uh, a bit more. That feels better. That that seems where we should be as compared to where I thought we were. Yara, thoughts seem accurate to you? I mean, I agree with Justin. I didn't like the way that we looked in some of the rankings, but that doesn't mean that they're wrong, you know? It's just a humbling experience for the first time to not be in the top three or the top five, and now we are being, you know, rightfully humbled. It is it is rightfully deserved, because we're not, we're not him right now. I wouldn't even argue that we're them. We're... <laughs> we're we're not. E- we don't even deserve pronouns today. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. 
you know, I, before this, I tried to go through and generally Justin will look up some like hot takes of like, is UGA on upset alert? And I didn't find anyone saying we're on upset alert, but I did find a lot of people who I think are smart and I trust who are kind of like, I would say we're at like side eye emoji and in, in terms of upset alert. We're not quite at like, oh, people think Kentucky's going to beat Georgia, but we, we do have some people who are smart going like, hmm. Most of the statistical models have this at a 12 to 15 point game falling right in line with Vegas. But I do think there are some smart people who are just just at least wondering, talking about, thinking about what would happen this weekend. So a couple of injury updates coming in to the weekend from Tuesday's press availability with Kirby Smart. According to him, both Ladd McConkey and Kendall Milton are healthy and working back into football shape. This is great news. It makes sense to me that obviously as Ladd hasn't played, your cardio is just not going to be where you want it to be when you can't practice all the time. And so it seems like that they are going to be getting more snaps going forward, which will be great. Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperlin are apparently available if needed, which is good for us in terms of depth in the tight end room. They were apparently available at Auburn and Kirby got real sassy with a reporter on Tuesday talking about basically like, would you want us to take Brock Bowers out? Which totally agreed. I will say this is probably good for the depth of our blocking tight end duties. Lawson Lucky is a freshman, but he is regarded as probably the best blocking tight end on the roster. He is no Darnell Washington, but then again, who is? So that's about all I got for news. Anybody else have any, you know, I, I, what I kind of want to do briefly is I, I want to just get a vibe check. From from the two of you before we go into the history of Kentucky, I want to see where we are. Okay, so I would I would like give our vibes in like quartiles right now. So you know the top level vibes is everything is great, going just how I expected. I have no concerns. The next level down would be like, eh, we're playing about as as I expected to be, but you know I'm not feeling that real. The vibes are not as good. They're not immaculate. The next level down would be like, I'm seriously concerned. I did not see this coming or just for whatever reason, the vibes aren't bad, but they're like suspect. It's like, we might need to leave this party. And then our final level would be the vibes are bad. So where are we sort of in that gradient? I'm in the middle. I I have a side eye, but I don't have a bombastic side eye. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of worried, but not like panicking. Yeah. And I think one reason why I'm not particularly worried is even though some, you know, really smart people are giving us a little bit of a side eye, you know who actually does have us on upset watch? And I don't know if this is like a valid source to be citing. This is kind of like citing Chad GBT on an essay. But Big Game Boomer <laughs> has that. us on Upset Watch. Big so, Game Boomer. Big Game Boomer. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Twitter like... account <laughs> that I blocked today from the CBC <laughs> Twitter account, by the way. I, I saw that. That was crazy. <laughs> I, was just, I saw one bad tweet and I was like, that's one too many. We're done. We're done. <laughs> Justin, with this guy. Justin, what that's about very you? very funny. I was trying to think about it. I like... I'm going to run with the party metaphor, and it's kind of like I was definitely invited to this party. I've been to this party before. I know some of the people here, but it's like I see like beige flags. Like there's no red flags yet, but I'm kind of like something's funny. Yeah. Uh, Like, did you get a haircut? Like talking to the host, maybe like what's different about you? Are you wearing glasses? Like this party's still cool and I'm having a good time, but I'm going to keep my eye out just in case. So let's narrow those vibes down into something a little bit more objective, just a touch. So let's future cast. Let's do our angel numbers. Let's do our manifesting. Let's do the secret angel here. numbers. Okay. So what does we're four and zero? That means we have eight regular game seasons left, and then possibly uh-huh. bowls and championship games and all that. So what is a successful season for UGA? on the rest of the season. What is a season that not a perfect season, but a season that you're like, okay, that was what they needed to do. And now I'm fine. I mean, still a perfect season, you know, like 
with the roster that we have and with the staff that we have and especially with the coaches that we have a and the schedule especially the fucking schedule because we're playing it's like a series of unfortunate cupcakes and cupcake adjacents we don't i don't know if anything other than like a perfect season is something that we need to accept you know I don't know, well, by take. perfect season, do you mean for perfect regular season, or do you mean like fifteen and zero win the natty? Uh, uh, um. <laughs> so we're talking twelve and zero, perfect regular season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So same question to you, Justin. Yeah, th- there's nothing I've seen so far that leads me to believe, like that would make me feel okay about anything less than a twelve zero season at this point. Like there's like, you know, in past seasons, somebody gets hurt or some things just don't really work out. And you say, whatever we get, we get. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm going to have a good time and it's fine. And I kind of feel that way right now. But at the same time, we have enough talent and enough enough going on and enough figured out. Like our identity seems like we know who the team is for the most part to where I'm like, yeah, you don't really have a whole lot of excuses unless you just get plain old whooped. Like. I think that the only way I'd be disappointed in the season is if we beat ourselves in some way. Um, if that makes sense. Like last year when we were, you know, we thought we were going to lose to Ohio State. I was like, I'm not mad. We got this far and they played a better game and that's fine. Um, if we if we got into a game like that, I would be okay with it at this point. I think to me, success is be in the SEC championship game. Because I think if you're in the SEC yeah. championship game, you have like a legitimate shot to do everything else that you want to do. And I think to me, 11 and one is fine. I think that we are going to drop one of either Tennessee, Ole Miss or Kentucky right now. If I had to pick, I would probably say Tennessee just because it's at home and it's a hard place to play. I just, I'm not sure that this team is on the same. We were so good last year that we erased a lot of mistakes We didn't make a lot of mistakes, but when we did make mistakes, those things didn't end up happening or didn't end up mattering in the outcome of the game because so often we immediately forced the other team into making a mistake. The problem this year, I think, is not just are we making more mistakes. It's that we are not then erasing those mistakes with either defensive havoc or offensive explosiveness or just like drives the end in seven. So I just I feel like that that is the recipe for taking a loss. But I think as long as we're in the SEC, I'm fine. Now, I will admit that a lot of this is subjective. And for me, (laughs) going to the college football playoffs is a very personally stressful experience because it's just a lot of work. I mean, you know, Yara, you did it like it's fun, but it's barely fun. It's so much work that the fun just like barely gets over the not fun. You know what I mean? So there is part of me that's like, man, any year that New Orleans is hosting the Sugar Bowl and it's not a CFP playoff spot, I'm kind of like, ooh, boy, that would be that would be fine with Nathan. But <laughs> I obviously don't want to put my bullshit on y'all. <laughs> no, dude, I had to drive a truck to fucking Indianapolis and back. There's you. I don't want to. Yeah. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy, bro. To be clear for people at home, Yara had to drive a 20 foot rider rental truck to Indianapolis. Okay, it's a truck to me. No, no, no. What I'm saying is I was not downplaying it. I was saying it wasn't a pickup truck. It was a it was like a package truck. It was a big truck. It was the largest that a truck can be that you don't need a CDL, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think I did get a CDL for that. I didn't know if we needed to or not. (laughs) Big big yard energy. That is big yard energy. All right. So, just went ahead and, you know, got my CDL. Yeah, just went, just for funsies. <laughs> Didn't you drive buses, though? Hope that's cool. Uh-uh. I want to, oh, yeah. So, a brief history of Kentucky football. I have a history segment, and then I have a game segment. And I every, every week, I keep on thinking, man, notable nemesis is boring. It's gotten old. But I just keep on coming up with ideas that I think are funny. So, we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> because no one's, no one's here to stop me. So... All right, brief history of Kentucky football. So basically, everything you need to know about Kentucky football up to the year 1953 is that Bear Bryant was their coach. Bear Bryant, who later on went to Texas A&M and then to Alabama. Bear Bryant 
turn Kentucky into a serious contender in the 50s. And then he left because he felt that he was basically playing second fiddle to Adolph Rupp, who was their longtime basketball coach who made Kentucky basketball, Kentucky basketball. They probably were playing second fiddle because it was Kentucky, but that's why he left. Now, this is sort of a definitive moment all the way through modern Kentucky football because it's emblematic of the issues that they've been facing since 1953, basically until the last couple of years, because they are a basketball school. And I don't even mean that in a derogatory way. They're just a basketball school. That's just what it is. And they, in some ways, unless they win a national title, they're always going to be a basketball school. However, that has been slightly lessened by the fact that Mark Stoops has come in and is having a very, very good career at Kentucky. So he arrived from FSU in 2012 at Kentucky, he was the DC opposite James Coley on Florida State's uh, offense, yeah. and that's. I'm sorry, it just like that pauses me in my tracks because I just still hate James Coley so much. Anyway, that was before your time, Yara, but <laughs> I I despise James Coley so much. Anyway, weird. So he was the DC opposite James Coley as OC, and he was there at FSU until the year before they won the win- the Jameis title. He is. You know, we think of him, it's easy to think of him as a Saban guy because he was on Jimbo's staff, who was then a, you know, a Saban guy, but he's not really a Saban guy. He is from the Stoops family of coaches. His brother, Bob, was the coach at Oklahoma for a while and won the national title there. So he was in, he's really a Dana Dimmel guy. Dana Dimmel was a guy who was at Kansas State, at least at the beginning of the career. And even though, Stoops never coached at Kansas State. He is kind of a Kansas State guy. He's he's from Ohio. He's got Kansas State DNA. So to me, what that says is running the ball a lot, doing really good development, taking lower rated players and turning them into stars. That's what he's been really good at. And that's kind of his DNA coaching wise. Uh, he, you know, it kind of makes sense. I know this is for those of us who maybe are a little more versed in college football or you might laugh at me calling Mark Stoops a Kansas State guy. But to me, it is an apt comparison because both Kansas State and Kentucky are, are programs at basically basketball schools who are facing massive talent and budget disadvantages to their peers in the conference around them and who have to make up that talent difference by a combination of good scheming, you know, innovative play design and also an innovative roster construction design uh, in, in terms of developing players and bringing in players from either transfer or junior college. And that's what Mark Stoops, or Mark Stoops has been very good at to this point in his career. Outside of Saban, he's actually the longest tenured coach in the SEC. In his first four years as coach yeah. at Kentucky, he went 14 and 34. But since then, they've gone 59 and 35, which is at Kentucky the best ever. That this last like eight year run is probably the best run of Kentucky football since Bear Bryant. Well, no, let me rephrase. It's definitely the best one since Bear Bryant. It might be arguably as good as Bear Bryant's. So he is sort of the 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 king of Kentucky football coaching. He's gonna he's gonna coach there as long as he wants to. It's wild in terms of the Winsipedia. If you look at it, Kentucky very famously has had some really bad streaks against other SEC teams. So two years ago, they broke the streak that Florida had against them, where Florida had beat them 27 times in a row. What's crazy is... yeah, 27 times. Yeah, it's pretty wild. What's crazy is they don't actually have that. They never really had that kind of streak against UGA. UGA's longest streak against Kentucky was 13 years. However... UGA is 82 and I'm sorry, 62 and 12 against their against Kentucky in the lifetime of their rivalry. The first time it was played in is in 1939. And one of their 12 only wins was in 1939. This is a series that at least not maybe not in the streakiness of it, but in terms of the domination of it, this is a series that UGA just absolutely owns. If you talk to Kentucky fans even today, because I have some Kentucky fan friends, none of them believe that Kentucky is winning this game because Georgia just traditionally, when Kentucky plays at Georgia, they don't lose to they don't lose to Kentucky. They just like they don't. Yeah. And so this is a this is a incredibly lopsided rivalry, even though, you know, 
today we think of Kentucky as a very competently coached football team who is a top 25 team. This is still not a rivalry that they've won a lot. And so if Kentucky does manage to pull the upset, that is why they're reacting the way that they are. Anytime something good happens against Georgia, the reason they're reacting so like so like crazy people is because of the history of this rivalry. <laughs> Any questions about the history? You, you seem, Yara, you seem like you have a question. No, I was just thinking about one of the wins being in 1939, because I know that World War II started in 1939, but is that when, like, you the U.S. troops got, like, deployed over there? No. Isn't it, it later? 1942. 1942. Yeah. December 7th, 1941 was, was, was Pearl Harbor Day. During the World War II era, I, w- I will say there was some, like, there was, even as early as 1939, there was, like, a massive disruption of college football. And if you look at the people who won a lot of games during that time, a lot of them are service academies or places that had instructional schools. So, for instance, oh. uh, Georgia Tech was really good in – the World War II era because they had there was a Navy flight instructional school at Georgia Tech. Uh, and so for um, like the two or three years around World War II, there's just some like wildly good football teams that were basically just like everyone that was on a base that had an instructional school. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. USA, USA, etc. Sure. So mascot <laughs> history. So they were officially yeah. called the mascot. This is some wild shit. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of crazy. In 1909 was when they first were called the mascot of the Wildcats. Now, the reason they were called the mascot, the the reason the where the the Wildcat nickname comes from is crazy to me because it sounds like okay. uh, it, to me this sounds like I've made like a Mad Lib of like. Things that would happen in the South in 1909. The story is that the Wildcat mascot nickname, not the mascot, but the nickname comes from this guy named Commandant Carbusier. So he was. <laughs> Wait, go back. Go back. I'm Commandant Carbusier. It's spelled C A R B U S I E R. So you tell me. Have you tried these 13 herbs and spices? I'm Commandant Cambusier. He was the head of the military department at Old State University, which was not Kentucky. And he had he was apparently a Kentucky fan. And he and he had a bunch of students, I guess, held captive in a captive audience at a chapel. And he said that they fought like wildcats. Well, he didn't have them held captive, but they had they were at a chapel they had to be at. That's what I thought you meant. (laughs) No, no, not literally held captive. But he told them that he told a group of students at a chapel service following the game that uh he that they had fought like wildcats now what's hilarious about this is the win that he was talking about was when they beat illinois at the time of power program in the 1900s six to two because at the time it was pretty common (laughs) to get safeties now the color scheme is also really funny so the university of kentucky adopted a blue and white as their official colors in 1892 originally they had decided on uk students when they were kind of making the team had decided on blue and light yellow but then they were playing Kentucky Center College on December 19th, 1891. They were trying to figure out what color blue they should wear. And there was a student in the audience who his name was Richard C. Stoll, who was actually a letterman, I guess, from the year before, who pulled his tie out and was like, this is the color blue that is now the color of Kentucky. And it just was like, whatever color <laughs> this his was- tie happened to be. At the time, the Wildcat mascot didn't actually come around until 1976. The first mascot was named Gary Tanner. UK has the Wildcat, but then they have Scratch, which is their family-friendly mascot who hosts the UK Junior Wildcat Club. He also wears the jersey number one half. Those are two very cute facts about Scratch. Everything else about Scratch is awful. Scratch the mascot is my sleep paralysis <laughs> demon. He looks like a hobgoblin from D&D if you slapped whiskers on him. I do not like his ears. Everything about him is bad. Scratch, please stop. He would not only spike my drink at dollar beer night, but he would actively, like, once I noticed that he spiked it and, like, did some subtle switcheroo shit, he would look at it and switch it back. Like, he's evil. That is a, that is the personification of evil. He pulls out chairs behind women and then laughs at them. That's that's some fucked up shit. This is just this is me editorializing, but they also have a lot of very cool uniforms. They have cool matte helmets, and then they have a very cool like checkerboard pattern. 
they're really big into the checkerboard pattern, the blue and white checkerboard, which I like. But they have like a, a chrome helmet that's checkerboarded that I really like. A lot of really good old logos. But for some reason, the modern Nike logo that they were, they've adopted is like a stylized wildcat head. And to me, it looks like two birds having sex in the missionary position. Yeah. It kind of does. It really does. Yeah. They like, you know, they do that because they love each other. Yeah. No, these, these, I'm sorry. These birds are not having sex. They're making love. Mm -hmm. They're making love. They look each other in the eye because they think they're both very pretty. They are so in love with each other. That's usually how it goes. So it's time for everyone's favorite game, Notable Nemeses. I have two rounds. The first (laughs) round is alumni. The second round is something way more fun. So here's my first, here's my first game, round one. All five of these people, and there is no trick in this one. There are no tricks in either of these because I I can't do the same joke twice. So all five (laughs) of these people were born in Kentucky. Of them, three of them went to the University of Kentucky. So you have to decide which ones. So I'm going to read them quickly and then we'll go through them again. First up, Mitch McConnell, human turtle and dirtbag. Second up, John T. Scopes, the defendant in the Scopes Monkey Trial, which was a very famous thing about evolution and teaching it in schools. George Clooney, this everyone's heartthrob. Ashley Judd, one of the reasons that 12-year-old Nathan knows that he's straight. Uh, Ashley Judd in A Time to Kill. Oh, my God. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, probably laid pipe. That's just the note I have on him. We all know he's the president, but I'm editorializing, and I think that Abraham Lincoln laid pipe. So, of those he, five... He laid wood, actually. Like, <laughs> he laid, laid logs, I think is uh, more yeah, time appropriate. And also, appropriate. actually apt. Yeah. He did... Lincoln Logs. <laughs> the name after him. Hold on. So is the premise, is the lore that you're constructing here that Lincoln Logs are actually homages to the size of Abe Lincoln's dick? Well, it's similar to, you know, how we, you know, it's like a Berenstein Bear thing. We all know about Brussels sprouts, but the truth of it is they're called Brussels sprouts. Same thing with Lincoln Logs. They're not Lincoln Logs. Those are Lincoln's Logs. Oh, Okay. Lincoln's logs, you know? Okay. If you know what I mean, you know? Yeah. <laughs> if you go back to the two birds having missionary sex. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's Lincoln's Whoa. logs. Okay. So. <laughs> That's Lincoln's logs, actually. <laughs> Which three of these people went to the University of Kentucky? Mitch McConnell, John T. Scopes, George Clooney, Ashley Judd, Abraham Lincoln. Shot out of a cannon. George Clooney, Ashley Judd, John T. Scopes. All went to Kentucky. Okay. I think Mitch McConnell is a red herring. Abraham Lincoln was an Illinois boy. Shot out of cannon. Yara, give it to me. Mitch McConnell went to Kentucky. I know this from when I did. I, I don't know. I just know this. John T. Scopes is too specific for you to include for him to not have gone to Kentucky. George Clooney, on the other hand, is too broad to have gone to Kentucky. Like, I, I you said that he's from there. Okay, I don't really know who this man is besides the <laughs> fact that I think I I saw his wife one time. I think she's awesome, but I don't know if George Clooney went to Kentucky. Ashley Judd, you wouldn't include you wouldn't include two hot people like that. Both mm, went to Kentucky. You don't know me. So Ashley Judd went to Kentucky. Yes, I do. Okay. You, so Ashley Judd went to Kentucky, and Abe Lincoln did not go to Kentucky because I don't think that Kentucky existed when Abe Lincoln went to college. I feel like he's just too old in my brain to have gone to Kentucky. Thank you. Fuck, man. You got me again. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Wait, did I? Which one? George Clooney went to northern Kentucky, but he was from Lexington, and he kind of is sort of Damn a it. Kentucky fan. Abraham Lincoln didn't go to college. He was self-educated, which is wild. But he actually oh. has several honorary degrees. Oh, cool. That is wild. Good for him. Ashley Judd is kind of the easy one because she is very famously a Kentucky fan. If you look up Ashley Judd, there's a lot of like younger Ashley Judd in just a Kentucky jersey, like sexy photos floating around the internet. The Judd sisters are kind of famously Kentucky fans. John T. Scopes. I'm going to look at those. Was a fresh graduate of the University of Kentucky when he the Scopes Monkey trial happened. And then Mitch McConnell. I can't say anything else about him without getting hit with like a libel lawsuit. Or slander. <laughs> I can't remember which is which. See, I thought, and I knew this was true. I thought he, I thought that was probably a red herring because he left Kentucky and came back to Kentucky. The, we could get into this. This is not this podcast, but he came back to Kentucky because it was easiest for him to get a seat there in the Senate. But he did not realize that he also got his JD from there. So round two. So my original version of round two was too easy. It was going to be 
what are the qualities of a bourbon versus a whiskey? But I'll just tell you. Bourbons don't have to be made in Kentucky. 95% of them are, but they don't have to be made in Kentucky. They just have to be fermented without at least 51% corn. And there's like some, they have to be stored in new oak barrels. And they have to be, I think, no more than like 62.5% alcohol. It's not like champagne. But I thought that was boring, but it got me to thinking about whiskey. So this is celebrity whiskey game uh, as of yet unnamed. So I've got five brands of whiskey. And then I've got five celebrities and or groups of celebrities because some of them are multiple. I need We're going to play a matching game. And I need you to figure out which group of oh. these, like multiple choice, which group of these celebrities is either directly associated with and or like co-owns and or was part of the creative team on making this whiskey. So I'll give you an example I didn't use. Huh. Bob Dylan got involved with winemaking and then eventually got involved with whiskey making. And he actually has a bourbon that he is an investor in called Heaven's Door Bourbon, uh, like the song that he wrote. So is he making the whiskey? No, but he's put some money in it and his name's on it. So all of these are sort of, some of them are like, very, very involved. Like they own the company. They're very involved with the process. Some of them are like, just like they put money on it or they've like helped with the mix. Some of these are imprints of larger companies. So for instance, uh, the wild turkey one, wild turkey is not owned by any of these people, but one of these people did work in, did work with wild turkey to develop, develop wild turkey long branch. So here are the people and then I'll read you the brands. All right. You ready? Drake. Yes. <laughs> Second up, we have a group. Jason Aldean and Florida Georgia Line together. That's one group. Okay? Hmm. Third, Scotty Pippen. Fourth, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> and then fifth, we have another group. Pey- Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick, the tennis star. I think I know okay. all those people. Guys, I know wow. all those people. I was really trying hard to pick ones that you would know, Yara. Because I didn't, that's why I didn't use the Bob Dylan one, because I was like, I'm not 100% sure that Bob Dylan, like that Yara would know who Bob Dylan was. I don't know who that is. I appreciate it. That's totally fine. I want you to be part of the game. So, our whiskey brands are, our whiskey imprints, Wild Turkey Long Branch, Sweeten's Cove, S-W-E-E-T-E-N-S Cove, Wolf Moon, Virginia Black, (laughs) And then I put Wild Turkey Long Branch twice, but really the last one is Digits. It's just called Digits. It's just called Uh, Digits. Okay. See, until you said that, I was like, I don't think Drake has ever even tasted whiskey before. Hmm. Okay. Yara, are any of these speaking to you? See, I think Drake is more of a passion fruit tea person, but Ah. I really like that one. I was thinking on that one. I think Drake and Digits go together. Drake and Digits are Drake and Wolf Moon. Those are that's his like vibe. Yeah, that, as, uh, as I do much feel as either of those. Canadian man can get into bourbon whiskey, whatever it is. I don't. Not know. all of these are bourbons. In fact, I think only can one. Can I of them ask is. a question? Yes. What is mm-hmm. what is the difference between bourbon? Like, are do they look different? Not really. They can be different colors. Bourbon is specifically a style of whiskey made with corn and aged in oak barrels. Whiskey, not all whiskey is made with corn. In fact, some whiskeys are made with wheat or no corn at all or a mix or whatever. And then there's another type that you might have heard of, which is Tennessee straight or Tennessee whiskey. Tennessee whiskey is Tennessee straight whiskey is made with a filtration process where it's filtered through charcoal with a very specific process. So, Tennessee whiskeys that you know about are like Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, George Dickel. Those are all Tennessee whiskeys. Hmm. The cheap ones. Tennessee whiskey is usually cheap. Oh, it's very tea. easy to make. There are good Tennessee whiskeys. There are. But absolutely. generally, they are cheaper, yeah. I mean, there's some very good Jim Beam. The brands you know tend to be Tennessee whiskeys. Yeah, Evan Williams, I believe, is also a Tennessee whiskey. Well, hmm. Let me go through them one at a time, and we'll just like you'll just address them one at a time. Wild Turkey Long Branch. Who are we feeling? I think that's that's Matthew McConaughey. Okay, just because that he's. I feel like these are all big names. I feel like he might be the biggest name when it comes to like whiskey drinkers. Hmm. 
Sweeten's Cove. That means nothing to me. <laughs> See, I heard that and my mind went to like Scotty Pippen and I don't know why and I don't know how, but I think it's because they both start with an S. So that's that's my rationale for it. Okay. I'll let you do that. I think Scotty Pippen belongs elsewhere. So go for it. Yeah. Okay. Sweeten's Cove. What the what Wolf Moon though. Hit us with Wolf Moon. Wolf Moon. It's too cool, I feel like, to be Jason Aldean in Florida Georgia line. Like there's like a vibe that goes with guys who are trying to be guys and wolf moon is like almost too tongue-in-cheek to be like i would say wolf moon and people would be like yeah that's funny justin would you like a hint yes no you want a hint (laughs) go for it (laughs) this is barely a hint i will tell you having read the promotional material when they say wolf moon they are not being ironic they literally mean a wolf moon. You you said when a guy says that, usually it's like a joke. Like if you said wolf moon, we would be like, ah, shut up. Nope. They're being serious. Yeah. Nope. Okay. Then in that case, I will say Jason Aldean and Florida Georgia Line. Which one of these people are a werewolf? What do you mean? <laughs> I don't think it's a werewolf thing. I think, see, when they're not being facetious in any way, it's because dudes that are being dudes just think wolves are cool or they think they are a wolf themselves. I don't I'm a college student. I've never once purchased whiskey or bourbon in my life. The the my We're going to go to the liquor store later too. <laughs> okay, my, the pinnacle of like what I treat myself to, dear listeners, um whenever I go to like a liquor store like for my birthday or something is rum chata. That is what I treat myself rum to. It is good. <laughs> uh, we have to move on though. Digits is Drake. We both are in a we're we're both in lockstep the there. Digits mm-hmm. is Drake. Digits. Okay. Virginia Black. I feel like Virginia Black is Scotty Pippen for me because it's black label. I assume black means black label. I don't know where Scotty Pippen is from, but there are a lot of like East Coast big basketball schools that Scotty Pippen may very well have gone to, like going up. I don't know where Scotty Pippen went though. That's my reasoning. I still don't have a place for Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick. I think they could also be Wild Turkey Long Branch. So that's difficult. Oh, no, 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 no. Matthew McConaughey is Wolf Moon. Okay. I'm with you then, I guess. <laughs> Wild Turkey Long Branch. <laughs> that's Peyton Manning and Andy okay, Roddick. Okay, get on the notes and make sure it's the way that you like it. And dear listener for, what is it, $5? You can look at these notes too and see whether we were correct or not. Patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> okay. This is where we're at. Wild Turkey Long Branch, Peyton Manning, Andy Roddick, Sweden's Cove. Yara says Scotty Pippen. I think that one is Jason Aldean in Florida mm. Georgia Line. No, I agree. You're the, you're the professional here. I agree with you. Wolf Moon, I think it's Matthew McConaughey. Digits is Drake. It's the coolest of all of these. Virginia Black, Scotty Pippen. Okay. You got zero out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Wild Turkey Long Branch is outstanding. Is Matthew McConaughey. Which, if you'd thought about it, it has big Lincoln Town Car energy. It does. But so does Wolf Moon. A touch, yes. Sweeten's Cove. A touch. Sweeten's Cove is Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick. Sweeten Cove is apparently the name of a golf course they both like. Which, if I had told you that, I think you could have gotten it. No, I wouldn't have gotten that still. (laughs) Wolf Moon is Jason Aldean and Florida Georgia Line. Now, what's even worse is, let me just give you a quote from their promotional material about it, okay? Oh, boy. See, this is why you go with your your first instinct. In in an interview with Billboard, Aldean explained the reasoning behind Wolf Moon label as a reference to the pack mentality that exists among his friends and family, which relates to how the trio views their creative and business relationship. They they were not joking. It's just like it's the the blandest thing. Yep. It's like yeah, it's just so bland. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, the highest rated of all of these, well, no, the highest rated is the wild turkey one, but the highest rated like individual imprint of these that's like a new brand is Digits, which is Scotty Pippen. Oh, huh. That's sort of a reference to the bottle has a picture of his hand on it. It's not phone number. It's. <laughs> literally digits like his fingers yeah okay now the worst rated of these is virginia black which is drake which is described Damn. in various reviews as barely barely a bourbon if you look at the packaging and the bottle it's just screams drake to me it does oh yeah yep that looks like something a canadian would make Rah. 
Drake wants so badly not to be from Canada. Yeah, it I seems. found a review of Virginia Black. I'm not going to read that all, but I'll just read the start of one sentence. Though, though Virginia Black is technically a whiskey, comma, that's all you need to know. It's technically a whiskey. <laughs> you you could call this a whiskey, and you wouldn't be wrong. God damn! But you also wouldn't be right. Scathing. Can I make another? Can I make another like point about this that will sicken you even more? Is Virginia Black is technically marketed to women because it's supposed to be like a more drinkable version of whiskey. And its name is a reference to Virginia Slims, which was an old cigarette brand that was marketed heavily to women. I cannot express how much that screams Drake. Drake is such a fucking incel, guys. I don't know how much you know about this, but like he is such an incel. It's so fucking funny. The other day at one of his concerts, this guy was holding up a sign that was like, I just broke up with my girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And then he, Drake saw the sign. He was like, I'm going to give you 50 bands right now. And you can go flex that to that young lady. Except he didn't call her a lady. He called her something else. He just, ugh, I hate him. I hate that man. I hate that man. Thank you. All right. So let's move on to our quantitative preview. Justin, where do we want to start here? Well, as always, we'd like to start with the players. We'll start with some players that we want to know, the ones that we should be looking out for. I know that everyone's talking about the running back from last week who ran 280 yards on our dearly beloved Florida. So I think that's a great place to start. What do you think? Sure. Ray Davis, who is a transfer senior from Vanderbilt, who was just absolutely wasted at Vanderbilt, but had a pretty good game against Georgia last year. It is worth noting. He has come into this year and kind of turned himself into a star. 75 attempts for 591 yards. He has eight touchdowns and a fumble on the year, 7.1 yards per carry. He has four, he's averaging 4.89 yards of yards after contact per attempt. So when he first gets hit, he's averaging five yards after that. He has very good breakaway numbers. He has 11 rushes of more than 15 yards already this year. And when he has the opportunity for rut to run like highlight plays, he finishes pretty often. He is a pretty big guy. He's not like a bruiser. He's not a Todd Gurley, but he has that combination of speed and size that you want in an SEC back. He can break tackles and he can run away from people. He's also a, they don't use him like this much, but he's a very reliable receiver as well. He's their second leading receiver on the year by yards. He is a, he's just a complete player. He's also looks like the, football coach at your high school that everyone has a crush on to me i don't know why i don't know i was wondering is that that. him yeah that is him in like a non-creepy way he's the facial hair of like a 35 year old man like he's a he's a very attractive person very striking eyes so who should we talk about next there's devin leary he is a north carolina state transfer uh there's also barry and brown tavion robinson and then Dion walker which immediately just looking at this with the eye test this is not the same eye test as you'd be using if you're watching the game but I will say there are a lot more, it seems, high-impact like skill players on this team compared to previous teams we've played this season. Is that fair to say? Yes. So their top three skill players are all, well, their top three skill players by reputation, if not by production, are all transfers. Uh, Devin Leary is a transfer mm-hmm. from NC State. He's a senior. Barian Brown is a transfer from Alabama. Alabama. I think he might be a junior. I'm not sure on his year. Uh, Devin Leary has been eh this year. He only has 57% completion percentage. He's 80, 81 for 142. He has 10 touchdowns and five interceptions. He's not a threat to run. He can throw the ball deep. His average depth of target is 10.9 yards. So he's airing it out when he does. But the problem that he's having is that he has a 57% completion percentage and a 70% adjusted completion percentage. That difference tells you that on balls that should have been caught, about 13% of them are not caught. He he is having horrible problems with drops in his receivers. They've already had 10 drops on the year. Barry and Brown in particular, who was probably their most talented high recruit receiver. He's a short, speedy guy. I mean, he's not short. He's just a smaller guy. He has 19 catches on 31 targets, and he has a 17% drop rate. Ooh. That is bad. Like, 17% of the that balls that hit his hand, he drops. He... 
he only has 261 yards, but he does have 13 yards per catch. He still has 2.24, 2.24 yards per run, a route run, which is very good. That's just a way of seeing like what is your average impact over the routes that you actually run, not just the snaps that you're in the game. And anything above two is quite good. So to me, it looks like he is a dude who is a breakaway threat. He is a home run threat. And he's a guy that they're trying to target with easy throws that he's still dropping. We saw this against Florida when he had a couple of drops on just like passes behind the line of scrimmage, like not not even hard, like uncontested catches that he's dropping. Their most effective the receiver this year is a guy who is I not I do not believe a transfer, and that's Tavon Robinson. He has 19 catches on 23 targets. He's a very sure-handed catcher for 308 yards and three touchdowns. He also has a very good yards per route run at 2.85. Very effective wide receiver when they do throw the, to them. So yes, that is all a long way of saying. This team actually, despite its reputation as a running team and its performance against Florida, does have some weapons all over the field on offense. And I think that what I've learned very quickly from from this piece is like, this is an all or nothing team. Like you're either, they're either, you know, running the board or they're not at all. (laughs) There is no in between. They have had a lot of dud drives this year just because of drops. Drives that ended early when they didn't have to. And the drops are a big reason for that. Now, defensively, they, they're they playing actually very good defense. This is the best defense we played by far this year. I, well, maybe not by far, but this is the best defense we played this year. They are, by most measures, by most metrics, a top 15 to 10 defense, depending on what you look at. They are led, I would say. Their highest graded player on PFF is Deion Walker. He's an interior defensive lineman. He's one of the better defensive linemen that we've played this year. He has 18 tackles, three sacks, and 14 pressures from the interior. That's very good. He's not the best open field tackler. He's he's had some problems with missed tackles in the open field. But, of course, that doesn't matter if you're playing inside and you're not in the open field or you're just, like, sort of playing in the middle of the scrum. He is a very good player. They kind of have a defense... I'm not going to say they have a no-name defense in like a pejorative sense, but they do have a no-name defense in the sense that they just have a lot of good players. I would say that they are a defense that is led through the center because of the way they play defense, which we can talk about in a little bit, which is why I put Dion Walker on here. So let's talk about the personality. There's kind of a weird thing going on here because you would assume that Mark, Sto- Mark Stoops is from Youngstown, Ohio. He's a Kansas State guy. He's a defensive dude. He is like a tough man ball guy who traditionally wants to run the ball. And we see all of the we see all of the things about how they have tried, you know, how they had 280 yards from one player against Florida and how they're like this running juggernaut. And they're very good at running the ball. But by personality, they don't actually play a man ball style. They're only running the ball about 45% of the time this year. They they run zone like fucking crazy. They run what's called midline zone or inside zone. They run outside zone. They run power as their main gap scheme play. They really like to run Ray Davis on inside power. They will run some, they will run quite a bit of read option stuff on the interior. Devin Leary's not a threat to run, so he doesn't keep it that option, but they do run that often, but they do run that quite a bit. Uh, they do not RPO hardly at all. This is a team that only had like 2% RPOs coming into the into the Florida game. Now, just to explain to anyone at home, an RPO is where, you know, usually has three options on it. At the snap, the quarterback read, or after the snap, really, the quarterback reads a, a key defender on the play. He either hands the ball off, throws the ball, or runs it himself. Presumably, they're not running a lot of RPOs because they don't have a quarterback who can run, which makes sense. They also, personality-wise, they like to throw it deep, or at least they like to run deep concepts. They run a lot of of all verts. They run a lot of flood, which is not quite all verts, but it is usually a deep route concept. They are, I think, passing-wise, sort of a West Coast offense passing system, which I can talk about more in a second. But like, I think part of the problem that they have is that they actually want to be more of a running of a passing team than they have been, but they just haven't really found a lot of consistent production in the pass game because of inaccuracy issues from Leary and just horrible drops from their wide receivers. They're trying real hard to be a pass team. Though. Yeah, they really want to be. I mean, they're, they're, they're passing damn near 60% of the time and not always successfully. They've run, I think, 30 more passes than run plays this year. I think it's like 152 to 122 on the year if you pull out garbage time and stuff. 
So defensively, they are a big team. They're a team that is big on what are called like overhang players. They like to walk guys up to the line of scrimmage outside of your offensive tackle, but inside of the wide receiver and just do shit with them. They'll run a lot of different exotic blitzes. Uh, They are, I wouldn't say like super blitz happy or whatever, but they do move guys around. Uh, Every defensive coordinator talks about being multiple, by which he means like, hey, we're going to do a bunch of different stuff. And it's true to some extent for everybody, but this is a team that really will throw a bunch of different looks. They have a lot of guys that they're really big on, like they stand a bunch of guys up in the bat in the defensive backfield. And then all of those dudes can do one of like two or three different things. So they throw a bunch of different looks at you coverage wise. And sometimes bring those guys in to blitz in terms of schematically, they are, it's kind of wild. So defensively, they move guys around a lot. They, I think are going to bring overhang defenders outside of the offensive line of scrimmage outside of our tackle to jam up Brock Bowers. I think you'll see a lot of overhang players like heads up on Brock because I think that they're going to want to like, I think one of the ways to eliminate him from a pass route concept is to just like physical him out of it. I think that's one of the few ways to do it without getting an immediate pass interference penalty. Um, offensively, they're kind of a different story. Liam Cohen was their offensive coordinator two years ago, and then he left and he was the Rams coordinator. And then he's come back this year. He's an interesting dude. He is a Ryan day guy. And so Ryan day is where he gets sort of his run offense from. They run a lot of midline, which is what Ryan day runs, but his pass offense so far this year has not been quite as Ryan day oriented. He actually came from Maine, like the university of Maine, Hmm. the black bears, which is a, is a really great mascot, nice. but yeah, but you know, you think of Ryan day, Ryan day's offense, they run a lot. They run like a few number of plays in a bunch of different variations and they run a lot of short stuff to try to get people open crosses and hitches and dig routes and stuff. And there is some of that in this offense, but the main offense that he sort of developed in his time at Maine is like, they call it like a hybrid West coast offense, which basically is like, they're going to run 11 and 12 personnel a lot. They're going to be under under center. They're not going to run RPOs. And a lot of their stuff in terms of passing is going to be downfield. I think that they've been trying to hit some more stuff short in recent years or in recent games, not years, but in recent games because of like the unreliability of the pass offense. But at its core schematically, at least in terms of like the DNA of this offense, what Liam Combs bringing to it, this is a West Coast offense, which is what you would think of when you think of like NFL offense. It is not necessarily a – it is much less of a spread-based team than what you we, we've seen with – like especially with Auburn and South Carolina as well when we played them. And I think that's going to look very different. I think it actually plays nicely into our hands because they are not going to run the quarterback. Unless the quarterback is scrambling, they just – they do not have a lot of designed runs. It's just – that's just not their thing. I would say – you know, Liam Cohen's a really good offensive coordinator. I'm imagining he's going to have something in the bag for us, but like, I would not expect to see the same kind of sort of like stuff that we associate with spread offenses that you saw against Auburn. They're a good team. I think maybe that a lot of our perception about them is colored by their game against Florida, which was admittedly quite good, but it doesn't tell the whole story about where they are as a team going back now that you've kind of talked through this team and their personality and everything i'm going back and looking at the the game on paper like head-to-head stats of all of this and it is by far the best team we've played it's actually it's pretty interesting to look at the defensive stats here and see that they are by the stats on par with georgia's defense Uh, we're all just sitting neck and neck in the low teens which again that is colored by the florida game uh, but I think that this, if this were like a really low scoring game on both sides at the end of the day, I would not be surprised, especially since Kentucky is one of the best teams against the run at this point. And the thing that worries me at this point is that we are, uh, flat average against the run defensively at this point in the season. And that's not great for us. Like, in fact, total EPA for teams running the ball against us. They are uh, 0.77. So every time they're snapping the ball and running it, they're gaining 0.77 mm-hmm. of a point, uh, 
It's not great. Yeah. So <laughs> for this Georgia team, especially uh, a hot running back coming off of last week. So just to give you sort of a, a feel for where we have these two teams and statistically, we currently have Georgia 13th in the nation with the 16th best offense and the 16th best defense. We currently have Kentucky 30th in the nation with the 29th best offense and the 33rd best, de- best defense. By comparison, mm-hmm. if you want to sort of like key off of what we saw from Auburn, we actually have Auburn 35th in the nation uh, with the mm-hmm. 64th best offense, but the 19th best defense. So we actually think that Auburn's mm-hmm. defense to this year has played better than Kentucky's. Uh, but we do have come, okay. Kentucky is about a point and a half better than Auburn on a neutral field with a far better offense. Yeah. Another interesting piece in this is that this Kentucky team seems really slow. Um, specifically, what I mean by that is their plays per game are really low. Um, they're averaging 55 plays per game, which is ranked 127th in the league. Georgia's right now is averaging 69 per game. Nice. Um, and that's 27th. And I don't know. Is there anything you could say to that, Nathan, um, why that might be the case? They're just not an up-tempo team? Yeah, they're not like a Navy or triple option level of like grind it out team but they they are a team and like you can find many quotes of stoops talking about this like their dna is that they want to limit possessions possess the football and basically lower their margin for error right the risk that they take tend to be schematically but in terms of the flow of the game they want to take the ball out of your hands because especially until this year, they generally, when they play better teams, are going to have a talent disadvantage. So it is to their benefit to play fewer snaps against their more talented opponents, right? They are not necessarily like plotting like, you know, a play every real time minute, but they they are not going to run. They're going to get up to the line, probably call an audible, look over to the sideline, call an audible again, and then snap the ball. Which also, you know, if you put them in a position where it, it does speak to, like, if we can get them in a position where we have them down a couple of touchdowns, which I'm not saying is likely, but like, just if we do hypothetically, like, that will be good for us because they they do have a real passing offense. This isn't like playing Georgia Tech from a few years ago, but they don't have a passing offense that is designed to run quickly outside of their two minute drill. And I, and if we can in the second half push them into that kind of two minute drill ish kind of stuff, I think that would be good for us just because that's not what they're designed to do. So let's put it all together. Yara, do you want to kick us off with what you want to see out of this game? Um, I mean, based off of what you guys are saying, it sounds like they, run the ball more often than they don't, right? And they... Well, they're better at it, at least. Other way around. They pass it more often, but they're better when they run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we can stop their run plays, I guess, that would be, I guess, more optimal for us because at the end of the day, our defense is still in our flop era. Um, I also would love to see a score in the first half, you know, like we haven't really been (laughs) fucking doing. Um... Yep. I know that we're going to be a second half team and I know that, you know, it's going to be a struggle going up against a defense that is on par with ours. But I would love to see, you know, some some action happening in the first half or maybe even the first quarter. I'm not going to jinx it or anything, but like if we can get a little bit happening, that would be really great. What about you guys? I'll echo what Yara said and I'll say I think that we really need to limit their their run game success rate um, and bring down the, those yards per run. Like if if old dude is running seven yards per carry, we're in real trouble. Uh, but I think that we need to limit that run run success rate and then force them to throw. And I have here in parentheses poorly because <laughs> we put Malachi Starks on Barry and Brown. The, the dude's not going to catch anything all day. Like I think it's really funny that. If you just look at the, the the regular box score, he's got an 83% catch rate, but the advanced box score that you brought for us, Nathan, it's it's really, it's much more uh, harrowing for him, I would say, um, being targeted 31 times and only catching 19 of them. So, and it's just not, not doing it, man. Um, I don't think that'll run really well with, with this Georgia team who I think our secondary is playing pretty well, um, which I'm pretty happy about. 
Uh, and past that, I think that act like we've played difficult defense before um, because, you know, last week we we struggled at times against Auburn. And um, yeah, I just want to be able to make sure, like Yara said as well, like, let's score a little bit. Let's 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 have fun. <laughs> let's have fun with. Yeah, it. I don't want to like too much copy what you guys are saying, but let, let's have a UGA score seven points in the first quarter challenge. Not 10. I, I originally said it at 10, but that it. was audacious. Just seven. Just score a touchdown. In the first quarter, and I will be happy. Second, we got to have better inside linebacker play, man. Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Monden, it's like they're not even incapable of making the play or not good enough to make the play. They just are in the wrong spot a lot of the time. That has got to get fixed post fucking haste if we are going to to stop this run game. Because what they did against Florida, if you look at their their play splits against Florida, they basically just ran inside power and inside zone until they stopped it, and they never stopped it. We have to make them put a wrinkle in. Even if they're still running the ball. If they're not just running their two base plays that they run the most often over and over again, then that puts us at an advantage. We have to be figure out a way to get them off the field. Because that is what they're going to be good at doing. Because if you run for five yards on first down, you got a pretty easy conversion ahead of you, right? They're really good at staying on the field. If we can just get them to punt it a couple of times, I think we're going to be okay. They play good defense, but I think we can score against them. In particular, I think that we can throw the ball against this team because I think we just have a lot of weapons there and that uh, Carson Beck is coming into his own. And then I just like, we need our run fits to be better from everybody. Just put the right guy in the right place. That's been the most distressing thing about watching this defense has been, there's just been some stuff where some people were in the wrong place. So let's do some predictions. Justin, the Vegas line for this is UGA minus 14.5. We also have it as a 15 point game on CBCR two Sam. Our projected score is 25 to 10. Justin, where do you have it? I think that this game is uh i went back and forth a little bit um and i ended up saying uga 31 kentucky 14 um i i think that kentucky is either going to score touchdowns or have to punt it i don't think they're going to have a lot of opportunities to actually kick the field goals um they're not going to get close enough for field goals either they're going to they're they're scoring or they're not um it's going to be six or zero um i think georgia is all right i think that they stay pretty steady throughout the day uh i i would like to think this is a this is a Georgia team that will be playing a full game rather than a second half and we'll have you know those those points scored throughout the game rather than just by the end all right Yara what do you think I agree I put mine well at first I'm gonna be real I had it at UGA 34 and Kentucky 17 and then I came to God so I adjusted it to (laughs) UGA 27 uh UK 17 I had it with Kentucky scoring more points, but I think that our defense is starting to play better. I'm going to give this UGA 24, Kentucky 13. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be tight until the third or fourth quarter. Like, I think we're going to have to sweat it. I hate to tell you guys this. I don't think we're going to enjoy this. That's okay. Bro, I have back (laughs) damage from hunkering down last week, and you're telling me I have to do that shit again? (laughs) It's a long season. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Chiropractor. You got it. You got to do some yoga beforehand. Get loosened up, my dude. So it's time for everyone question marks favorite segment, which is who holds the leash, also colloquially known as Justin's porn corner. Justin, give it give it a ride. I would be happy. Yeah, give it. <laughs> someone's going to ride. ChatGPT has decided. If this is your first time, also, uh, this is the segment of the show where uh, man and machine have created unspeakable horrors for your listening pleasure. Um, but what I do with ChatGPT and what I have done each week to this point is I have asked it to create a beautiful tapestry of love between Harry Dog and the opposing school's mascot. Uh, this week we have. Five stanzas as well. ChatGPT used to give me four stanzas. Now it's giving me five for some reason. It can't fit all of its love across 16 lines. And so we're getting now 20, which I'm okay with. And each of them has a heading. The headings this week are Sultry Georgia South, The Arches Allure, Secrets of Broad Street, Between Tradition and Temptation, and Dawning Desires. So without further ado, let's get right into it. In Athens, where George's pride does gleam, Harry Dog encountered a dream so extreme. 
Gary Tanner stepped in with Wildcat Flare, disturbing the peace of the southern air. Beneath the iconic arch where traditions hold, their eyes met a story untold. A dog and a wild cat drawn despite the taboo. Each heartbeat echoed, I crave for you. Down Broad Street's alleys hidden from sight, they found secluded corners in the quiet of night. Whispers and caresses, passions did unfurl, and a dance of desires their secrets did swirl. By the chapel bell, its tolling did cease, as Harry and Gary found a forbidden peace. Their love, a challenge to Athens' very core, yet every stolen touch only left them wanting more. As Sanford's lights dimmed, a new day did start, their secret remained, branded on each heart. In the heart of Georgia, where bulldogs reign supreme, Harry and Gary lived out their forbidden dream. They fought- oh, snaps. They fought <laughs> under the chapel bell? That's like sacrilegious. So, oh Nathan, my god. I mean, <laughs> some some literary analysis here. I think there's a lot of metaphors. Yeah, in this. the whole thing about how the the bell stopped ringing when they found their piece. Yeah, I bet it did. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the idea that the Wildcats given legal Christian name is Gary Tanner. That's not the name of the man in the suit. Know, That's the right? Wildcats name. Like Auburn has Obby and the Wildcat is it. named Gary Tanner. Gary Tanner. It's like naming your naming your dog Meredith. Like yes, this is my dog. These are my two dogs. This one is fucking Butterbean, and this is Meredith. I also like. Okay, so here's the other thing: the the Broad Street's narrow alleys. Anytime you have, I I don't know how to like explain this without being too risque, but anytime you're talking about sex in literary analysis, and you start talking about like a narrow enclosed corridor <laughs> that's like it that, that's a thing uh, that's like a like architecture as sex is a thing is a, a component of literary analysis okay so i interpreted this as they fucked in a bar and which led me to my question if they fucked in a bar what bar did they fuck in y'all let's have a discussion it is probably the sake mama bathroom <laughs> I think that really the question is, if they hooked up in a bar, the question is, what kind of bar would a guy named Gary Tanner go to? Because that makes me think Sandbar or Generals. Oh. Mags. Mags, yeah. Gary was like, I heard about this cool place called Generals. And Harry said, no, 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 no. We don't go there. (laughs) Real. I said Boars because Boars is where all the old people go. And Gary is an old person name. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you'd heard here today, we encourage you to give it a rating and a review on wherever you are currently listening to this, whether that be Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on social media on the social at Chapel Bell Curve. We are on Instagram, TikTok, Blue Sky, Twitter, Facebook, etc. If you'd like to get in touch with us in a more quotidian way, you can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. Response time, four to six weeks. If you would like to support this podcast and become a member of a beautiful, burgeoning, powerful, turgid community, you can go to patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to our Discord, access to our patron feed of podcasts, as well as our stat sheets and sheets that we use when we do the show. We will catch you this weekend for the titanic clash between feline and canine in the classic city. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs.